This is Hard Parking, brought to you by Wright Honda and Wright Toyota out of Scottsdale, Arizona. I am your host, Jay Finning. If you've listened to the Gears and Gasoline episode and you decided to subscribe and stick with the show, thank you so much. Also, thank you, India. India is the second most downloaded, listened to, I don't even know how to say it, but they're number two. Number two behind the US of A. Thank you, India. Kind of want to start things off with a random thought. I don't always have a random thought. Last year, I introduced the random thought of the week segment that I did every once in a while. Not even every week, but I have a random thought. Start your day off like this. Does everybody have a Denny's phase? I was dropping off a prescription for my mother-in-law at Walgreens, and Denny's was packed. Packed, packed, packed. I looked at my wife and I said, hmm, Denny's is always packed. Does everyone have a Denny's phase and she said i do i did like yeah me too we used to go to denny's all the time when i was a bouncer that's right i used to be a bouncer and uh grand rapids michigan we used to go to denny's after shift at like 2 30 in the morning you used to get the southern slam southern slam biscuits and gravy chicken fried steak two eggs scrambled hard please coffee southern slam today's show is going to be a little different We are going to talk about Colin Kaepernick's In Black and White, a Netflix six-part show. I haven't quite figured out if if it's supposed to be a documentary or if it's just supposed to be a TV show or if it's Everybody Hates Chris. Remember that show, Chris Rock, kind of based on his life, but it was obviously a comedy. This one, I'm not quite sure, but we'll have Q on, Quincy Shelton, host of the Talk to Q radio show. We'll talk about that. He's been doing this for over 10 years. He's got almost a thousand episodes. I just passed a hundred. And that was a major goal of mine. So coming up, Quincy Shelton of the Talk to Q radio show after Four Wheel Online. Jay Finning here, and I want to tell you guys about Four Wheel Online. For over a decade, Four Wheel Online has been bringing the best truck accessories and truck parts to enhance the appearance and performance of all trucks and SUVs. They are dedicated to providing an extensive range of upgrades that will match any maker model on the road. The truck products cover everything you need to give your truck a custom look and added functionality. And if you need a tire and wheel package, head over and use the configuration tool. They carry all the major brands of wheels and tires, so we'll get outfitted today. So visit them online at 4WheelOnline or call them at 813-769-2451. Again, that's 4WheelOnline, the number 4, Wheel Online. Quincy Shelton, Talk to Q Radio Show. Glad to have you on the podcast. We've been talking about this for a long time. As I'd mentioned in the opening, I had recently hit 100 episodes, but you are way beyond that. In fact, this year, you're going to probably, well, you're going to hit 1,000 because you do once every week. Is that correct? Yeah. Right now, I'm, my next show is 974, so I will be hitting 1,000 sometime in the middle of 2022. See, to me, that's amazing. I mean, obviously making it to 100 is a major milestone. And then we kind of set those marks. Like, when did you set those marks for yourself? And you've been doing this for 10 years. This is going into your 11th year. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I started in 2011. And um, it was supposed to be a one-hitter quitter. I just, I was just going to do it just to say that, hey, I hosted a, a small talk show for 15 minutes on air. And someone listened to it and said they wanted to be a guest. So I had a second show and two turned to 10 and 10 to 100. And I just kept going. I just enjoyed it. And were you always doing them every week originally? Originally, I started off, I was doing about four per week. 
It was oh Sunday God. through Thursday for the most part because I didn't have a lot else to do. I kind of buried myself in it because um, around the time I started, I was very excited. But um, my first wife got sick. She had breast cancer for nine years. Mm. And after she passed away, this was kind of therapeutic for me. Sure. So I found myself doing it just to try to pass the time. But you, you do know for a week starting off as a recipe for a disaster. <laughs> exactly. No, I never said they were any good, but I definitely uh, just kept going because I enjoyed talking to people and listening to different opinions. And you can tell how the show evolved because my, my callers evolved. I, I went and I, I hate to use the term, but it's the only accurate way I can describe it. I went from people who are maybe not as educated to more educated. And so the show grew, the callers got smarter, and it just became even more interesting and more of a motivation for me to continue. Now, when you say callers. Yes, because this was a radio show to, to start off with. I talk radio show. People had a toll-free number that they would call into the show. So once I started, I had no idea if anyone was going to call in or who was going to call in. And so they would call the toll-free line once they listened to the show that was airing live. And I'd throw out questions and they'd respond to the questions. And then over time, I started having regular callers that I could depend on, which I dubbed them show legends over the years. And so they became special to the show. They were always a staple to the show. I had four or five callers who I can always rely on. And then I just have random callers from all over the world who would just chime in on whatever the topic was. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Cause I was on your show several months ago and you, that, that, on that show, you crowned Erica as a show legend. And yes, Erica in Louisiana. Uh, she also has her own show, which is very good called dope discussions live. And she's a huge contributor to the show because she she calls in a lot. She helps promote the show. Um, we share marketing ideas and things of that nature. So um, there are a lot of people who, for different reasons, can become show legends because of what they contribute to the show, be it their time or efforts in helping me grow. So let's back up for a second, okay? So an 800 number, like how? Like how the hell did you get into that? Like, I, I think, I think one of the biggest struggles for people who are podcasting, cause you were doing this before it became the thing, right? Cause there are still podcasts back then, but as someone who's been around for 10 years doing this, you mm-hmm. are firsthand witness to seeing these waves of people come and go. The only wave that I could say that I've seen is 2020, but I didn't start doing this till late 2019. So I just have like a sample set. So I don't know if that's just standard every few years, you get this giant wave which is kind of hard to measure because the internet wasn't where it was 10 years ago, or if that was just something that was super crazy. So I just threw a bunch of shit at you just now. But even going back <laughs> to the 800 number, like how would you know to do that? Well, actually, it was, it was fairly easy. There was a website I stumbled across called Blog Talk Radio, mm-hmm. and they would provide you with a toll-free number once you got an account with them and an allotment of time. And so they gave me the number and I would schedule the shows in advance and people were able to see, you know, what the topic was going to be and what time it was going to air. And they could just call in or they could join the chat room at that particular time. And so it was just like, you know, old school AM talk radio that I used Mm -hmm. to love to listen to 
in the mid nineties that kind of got me hooked on the idea of trying it someday. And so I used that up until about two years ago where I decided to transition to YouTube, which of course you can't call in the YouTube. Right. So now I schedule people to be on for the most part. Um, now there are times where people who may join the chat room will request to join the show and that's cool. But for the most part, my guests are scheduled. Whereas, you know, when I first started out, it was just random. So that kind of answers a lot of my questions about you. Cause you know, 970 ish, it's going to hit a thousand. I'm like, how the fuck does Q <laughs> stay motivated? Well, because you've built like you've, you've built kind of a, Oh, a schedule, a way to stay motivated. Cause once you start getting those calls in, you're like, holy shit, there's people calling that motivates you to keep doing it. Absolutely. And what was exciting for me was the fact that there were people from not just all over the country, all over the world. Right. You know, I talked to people from New Zealand, Australia, they'd be up at, you know, four in the morning with nothing to do and just happen to call in on a, on a topic. And, um, that that was really exciting to me to talk to people from all over the world and get their perspective on anything from relationships to politics. I mean, we discussed it all. And so as the show transitioned to more of a traditional podcast, I just kept the name the Talk to Q radio show. You know, I liked it better than the Talk to Q podcast. So I kind of kept that because I still have the, the I, I guess the, the base of the show is still about the, you know, the people who join and not about me, which is why I called it Talk to Q instead of Listen to Q. It's not about me talking. It's about people calling in or joining the show and contributing their thoughts. So after 10 years, how often is it just you or is it never you anymore? Is it always you and, and paneled guests? That's the first question. The second question is, you know, how are you able to continuously come up with content and then talk about the content that you typically have on your show? Because it's not typically stuff that I would ever have on my show. Because it doesn't work for my show. Right, right. And it's 95% panel. It's very rare that I do a solo show. And if I do, it's normally no more than about three to five minutes, me ranting on a particular topic. Mm -hmm. But um, it's usually all about the the guest panel. And um, I stumble across a lot on social media because I consider myself a society and culture podcast so there's always something going on in the world. And I like to discuss things that aren't generally discussed in mainstream or things that people aren't necessarily exposed to. We, we have a lot of conflict and drama in the world that's unnecessary simply because no one gave us an idea of how to handle it. And it's not to say that the people on my show are always right or you should listen to what they say. But if you get perspectives of different people, maybe you can figure it out for yourself whenever you encounter it. I found that when I, the rare cases that I do a panel discussion, or even when I was on your show as a panel discussion, I wouldn't say it's easier, but it's, it's, you know, I can understand being only able to do it for 10 or 15 minutes by yourself. I don't think I could do an entire show 30 minutes or 45 minutes by myself. Mm -hmm. So when I had my original co-host, once he decided to drop off, <clears throat> fired, it became one of those things where it's like, okay, I can do this, but I don't want to bore people 30 minutes with just my voice. I'm not that good at it, but maybe it's time to invite other voices on the show every once in a while to kind of break up the monotony of forcing people to listen to me. And that's what's kind of kept me going. 
people like to voice their opinions to other people and find out what other people are going on. And you get an opportunity on your show to voice your opinion, but it's your show. So you also get to moderate your show. So it's kind of fun in that aspect. So most definitely, I I definitely enjoy hearing the opinions of others and being able to decide what questions are being asked. Um, That's a lot of fun. And sometimes some of the earlier shows, like I would say 2013 and 14, around that time, a lot of them dealt with things I may have been going through myself. So mm-hmm. I was able to ask questions that things of things I was dealing with and getting the perspective of others as far as how they would handle it. So there, there were a lot of different things that motivated me to continue. And at one point, I did get burned out because I got too concerned about the numbers. I was always checking to see how many people checked out the show. You know, how many listeners do I have? How many reviews did I have? And it became more of a job than it did a hobby. And so I had to back away for a bit. But now my focus is all about having fun and um, just trying to put together a good product that people can enjoy. So you said something important there, and it's very, um, I wouldn't say controversial, but People are either on one side or the other side of that thought. Is it a hobby or is it a job? And some people say, well, if you look at your podcast as a hobby, then you're not taking it seriously enough. And if you look at it as a job, that's the only way you're going to grow it and turn it into a business. But I think it's okay for it to be a hobby. And if you're able to bank on it, cool. If you're not, whatever, because it could be a release, right? Because they say, there's a thing that say, always do what you want to do. And it'll never feel like work. But mm-hmm. once you make it work, it's always going to be work, no matter what it is, in my opinion. But what's your thought on that aspect of saying, if you're not taking your podcast or you know your radio show or whatever people are calling it, your YouTube production as a business, then you're not doing it right. Well, I'm not going to say as to what's right and what's wrong. I do think that if you look at it as a business, then yeah, you have a lot more chances of being financially successful. You're going to put in the, you know, burn the midnight oil or whatever it takes in order to help it grow. Or flaming out. (laughs) Right, right. And in all honesty, because it is a hobby for me, yeah, I do have, I'm sure I've missed some opportunities to, to grow the show or make it better because I decide that, um, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, I'd rather watch football than to put in some hours and try to promote my show or something of that nature. But I, I'm okay with that. I'm I'm not looking to make a lot of money off of this financially. At one time, I did, and I worked really hard, and I made pretty decent money, you know. And I just got burned out. Like I said, it became a job, and it was no longer fun. Like you said, once once it becomes work, it's always work. And that's not what I wanted to do. And because of that, I ended up shutting down the show for almost two years. I'm in 2018. I quote unquote, you know, did my retirement. But um, a la Michael Jordan, I guess I came back. And (laughs) I said this time around, it's going to be about having fun. And if I don't get the listeners that I once did, because like in 2013 and 14, I was doing between two to three thousand listens per week. And uh, I was really enjoying that. And so now I'm like, even if I just get 100 per week or so, then I'm, I'm good with that because I know that someone took the time to listen and it became more of an appreciation of the people who took the time 
rather than going through all the trouble trying to constantly add more to the mix. Well said, because that's, for your example, that's 100 people that are looking forward to that every week. Kind of going back to your roots, right? The people on the other side of East Jesus Mm-hmm. Probably looking forward to that show, man. Your show could be the one thing that they look forward to during a week full of bullshit. So you just never know. And I hope that's the case. You know, every blue moon, I'll get um, a direct message or an email from someone who enjoyed a show. And it's always a welcome surprise when that happens. And, and, and that does make it worth it. Because although I do the show for me, I do want other people to enjoy it, even though it's fun for me to put all this together, bring people together, because over the years, there have been countless people who I've inspired to do their own podcast, or maybe they've networked together to do their own thing, um, because a lot of the people who have been guests on my show are now friends because of, you know, interacting with each other on the show. So I, I, I get so much from it than just, you know, how many people watch or listen. Well, your longevity, and I always struggle with that word because I Oh, I don't know. I just can't say it right, but I think I said it right. But your longevity, you your longevity inspires me because when I look at it, I'm like, fuck, man, Q's been doing this for this long. And I'm, you know, sometimes I look at the numbers and then sometimes I'm like, the numbers don't matter, but then they always kind of do matter, but then they don't matter. And I'm like, all right, well, like I said, I made it to a hundred, which is great. As you know, you've been around long enough. People fail, quit, whatever else before they get to 10. But here you yeah. are. You'll have a thousand this year. But one of the things I also like is we've had a lot of conversations side by side, well, via messaging. Some of them are voice, some of them are just DMs or PMs, whatever people want to call them. And we talk about all sorts of different things. And I like that you, one of the handful that I've communicated with that see things in society as the way they are. If something is racist, you call it like it is. If you think it's race baiting, you call it like it is. And, you know, your show is about those conversations as well. Just like you said, things that people aren't always trying to talk about, whether relationship or society issues. We talked about talking um, on the, the Colin Kaepernick black, is it Colin Kaepernick in black and white? Something I like might that, think so. Right. In black and white. And I got on Twitter and I watched all these videos. These are these, you know, commentators saying stuff on it. And I'm like, God damn it. I'm pissed too. I'm outraged because I'm not a big Colin Kaepernick guy. I, didn't, I never was a big Colin guy when he was playing football. I thought he was okay. I didn't think his style would last, and it never lasts for people who play like that. But with him taking a knee, I understood the cause. I never had a problem with it. But the more he said, in my opinion, the less um, less informed he came across as. And so that's kind of where he started spiraling downwards to a lot of us. But we talked about the, you and I talked about the Colin Kaepernick in black and white. And that's what I want to talk about right now if you still have time. Absolutely. To talk about it. So initially, I sent you some of those video clips, I think. And, you know, like I was, I was outraged at some of this stuff. And I started watching each episode and I said, Q, this is what we're going to talk about. This is right up your, out, your show's alley. Let's do this. You did your homework. I didn't, but I finally finished it. <laughs> When I first started, I had pages of notes. I was writing down because I was angry. I was angry watching this show, writing down pages. Like each episode had its own page. And then as I, I wrote less and less as I got to the third, fourth, fifth, and the final sixth episode. What were your overall thoughts of that? If you have notes written down, that's fine. Overall, um, I'll say this. There were, what, five, six episodes? Six, yeah. I... 
I thought the first two or three were more interesting than the last three. And, and not necessarily for the content itself. I thought the act, first of all, just to compliment the show, I thought the acting was decent. I thought the acting was, was pretty good. The guy that played young Colin played the role pretty well. His mom, um, I can't remember her name. She played in that Showtime show Weeds back in the day. She was good. Nick Offerman was good. So I, I enjoyed yeah. the acting. But as far as the content itself, I was kind of immediately rubbed the wrong way when he compared the NFL draft to slavery and how the slave masters back in the day would put the slaves on a stage and check out their height, weight, and you know, physical attributes to see how good of a slave they would be. I thought that was completely unfair to, to make that comparison. And I understand what he was trying to do at that point, but I, I just didn't like the shock value that he was, well, I know he was going for the shot value to get your mm-hmm. attention, but I just thought it was way off base to start the show with that. Um, some of the things I understood in the early episodes were the biracial hair issues as far as, you know, how should I do my hair? Um, a traditional white style, traditional black style with braids or cornrows or something like that. Um, then they had the little subtleties like, the food wasn't seasoned in his mom's house, but he would go to a black person's house and the food was always tastier there and um, things of that nature. So the show, I, I get what he was trying to do. And I tried to separate the fact that I don't feel like he's always genuine from the show itself and, and try to look at the two separately. But overall, I, I don't really see the purpose of the show outside of trying to promote why he thinks the way he does or trying to force it upon people to understand why he thinks the way he does. Yeah, that's a good summary of it. And I think because you're right, I think the kid who played Colin, it's, he did a likable job. I think the show in itself away from every time we saw Colin interject with his historical lessons and, mm. you know, the beginning and sometimes into the episodes, but usually it's just the beginning of the episodes. If you separate that from the six episodes, I think the show itself was, was pretty good. Yeah. Um, but then if, if if you watch the episodes as they are, you kind of take them as kind of this is someone's life. We'll just remove Colin from the equation. This is someone's life. There's a little comedy aspect to it. You know, are people really that ignorant across the board? I don't know. But if it's a comedy sort of, you get it in the world of acting, but if you're portraying yourself as actual events and actual conversations that took place, then maybe it's not as comedic. But then when you interject, like you said, the slavery thing, like I don't, I kind of understand sort of what he was saying, but not really. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's just one of many examples of Colin Kaepernick in the last several years where it's just a really poor uh, example of trying to get people to understand what you're thinking. I have a mutual friend who said, yeah, when you watch the show, I don't know much about him, but when, when it's all said and done, you won't be upset and you'll actually really like the show. I'm like, eh, I did like the show, but I'll never get over that first part because comparing, like you said, I mean, comparing it to slavery, and this isn't a white black thing because there's a lot of black folks that were really upset about that. Right. You have these players that they live their whole life. That's what they want. That's what they want or someone in their family wants for them to get to that point 
Like if you go to the scouting combine, I mean, you're, you're almost there. That's what you've prepared for your entire life. You want to be there so you can make those millions and live out your dream playing professional mm-hmm. football, basketball, baseball. I think it goes without saying. Slavery, no one wanted to be there. Not at all. Not at all. And the show was enjoyable for the most part. Um, there were some things that um, I thought were very true as far as the situations he went through. Like, for example, um, having the white stamp of approval that he couldn't be validated, so to speak, until a white person necessarily gave him the, okay, you can be a quarterback or or something of that nature. Um, Seeing how his parents responded when he got pulled over by the cops, the parents were all, his white parents were friendly with the police officer, even though they were, he was, the officer was kind of hostile towards him, but they didn't really, they seemed unfazed by how he was being treated. And there were times throughout the show where he was uncomfortable and his parents who were white were unable to recognize that. And I think it's like that in real life. I think sometimes people of color may be in uncomfortable positions and white people may not realize it, you know, because it doesn't impact them or their world. And so I I thought there were some subtleties in the show that did hit home to a lot of people of color, but some of it seemed forced. Uh, A lot of it, I wonder if it truly happened or if he just stuffed it in here just for the sake of doing the show. But all in all, like I said, I get what he was trying to do. And I I definitely tried to separate the fact that of what I think about Colin. And um, I mean, I I think he's a phenomenal athlete. I think he was a decent quarterback. Uh, But I mean, I don't think he was ever going to be a great quarterback. Of course, that that we'll never know, but I don't think he was ever going to be a great quarterback, but he made it to a Super Bowl. That's better than most. One throw away from uh, tying or winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but as far as him, you know, does he genuinely want to play football? No, after he quit, I don't think he ever really wanted to come back and play. I think that was just a ploy to act like he did. And he just wanted to remain relevant. And um, and there were parts of the show I called BS on, like as a kid, his age in the era in which he was raised, did he really care about seeing a Confederate flag? You, you know, I don't, I don't think kids who were born in the 90s really knew much about Confederate flags, especially if you're raised by a white family. So I don't know why he was reacting to that in one of the later episodes. And, and his standard for for beauty was something they hit on in the show when he liked the dark skinned girl and his parents wanted him to date the white girl across the street or something like that. Uh, I I thought that was something that they could have done a better job with um, on the show. So it seemed like he was trying to force points and take all the race baiting things from the last 50 years and shove it into six episodes. Yeah. And it's like for, for my dynamic, now, for the listeners, you are in Mississippi? Yes. Born and raised? Born and raised. Yeah, and you're a little yeah. older than I am. Mm-hmm. I'm 50. 50, yep. So it's fair to say that being born and raised in that region of the country, you're probably going to see more things than someone born and raised in, I would say, Minnesota. That's a bad example given the current landscape of our country. But you'll <laughs> probably some see different things than someone maybe in the state of Washington, you know, like the, or the state of New York, different things. Everybody goes through shit, but as far as specific to Confederacy and 
because that part of the country was like the last to adapt, except for the small pockets outside of every you know major city. Right, right, and yeah, the 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 Confederate flag flew for a long time around here, and and in a lot of ways, Colin was privileged himself when you mm-hmm. compare it to the blackness that he promotes, um, because overall, he he had a pretty good life. Yeah, he dealt with some things but not the things that a lot of people may go through maybe in some of the inner cities and things of that nature raised by black parents who didn't have a lot. But um, yeah, as far as things I've seen here in the South, I'll be honest with you. I've been fortunate enough to not have anything just, you know, crazy or traumatic happen to me or some of my friends in my childhood, but I've seen plenty of uh, racist acts and, you know, I've dealt with, I guess, prejudiced policemen and things right. of that nature. So, but I, I think it happens all over. The South does get a bad rap for it because every movie that comes out about racism, somebody like wants to be in 1965, Mississippi or something like that. So yeah. I, I get that, <laughs> but um, it's not nearly as bad as it's portrayed on television. I will say that not everything is Mississippi burning around here. Right. I mean, I'm 45, be 46 really soon. And, I'm not trying to drive through that area at night. And even I know better than to really, you know, stamp an entire area like that. But it's programming from TV. It's programming from the news. And that's kind of leading into some of the things where it's like the way people react to you, whether you're black or you're white or you're Mexican or you're Asian, if they don't have direct exposure for a long time, the only thing they know is what they see on TV, what they see on videos, right? Right, right. And so... You know, you can call them ignorant or uneducated, but at the same time, it's like, if you don't know any better, then you don't know any better. It's kind of like some of those things, and I've said on this podcast before, like, I grew up and we would call everyone a fag. Ah, you're a fag. And we wouldn't think fag as in a gay person. We just think fag is just something you call people. Or microaggression that Colin Kaepernick likes to use that term a lot, the microaggressions. You know, you throw like a girl. Like, what does that mean, right? Yeah. But it doesn't mean anything to us because that's just what we know and we've never... So some of these things that come out from people, it's just, you know, I had, I asked my, my good friend, I said, well, can black people be racist too? And he says, yeah, well, I understand it. And I go, no, no, that's not what I asked you. I said, if a white person walks into a black neighborhood, unassuming someone from the suburbs are lost and everyone's like, get your white ass out of here before you get your ass kicked. That's okay. And he said, well, I painted him into the corner and finally he said, yeah, that's okay. Cause I understand. I go, what do you mean you understand? You know, and so those are some of the things that to me just don't make sense. And he is more privileged than he thinks, too. I grew up near him. We're friends. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I didn't see Colin cover, which made me think about my friend that I just talked about, is there's a so when he goes, his mom finally breaks down and takes him to the cool place to get his hair done and have all the hip hop clothes and stuff. And everyone just accepted him. And they're like, oh, that's your mother. Oh, bless your heart. It's not always like that. You know, I was raised with white parents. I grew up in Garland, Texas. And Mm -hmm. I, watching this documentary, I always wondered, like, God, what did my parents hear? Like, what were people saying, if anything, you know, about them bringing someone like me and my brother in? You know, we we don't cover any of that. And, you know, my friends were always my friends, but I had to have friends that were like, oh, Jay, oh, he's got white parents. He has no, he's not one of us. At the same time, you get people say, oh, he's one of us. But I didn't see any of that type of double-sided stuff going on in this. It was just, okay, all the black people in this loved him because he was black. No one judged him because he had white parents. But his white parents and all the white people in this were just a bunch of ignorant people 
either they're ignorant or they were racist, but not just overall accepting, or they were just, I don't know, blinded to the fact. Like, I think he painted his parents, like, I don't know what he was trying to say about his parents. In the end, what I saw was, dude, you were very fortunate. Don't give me that I've never been the first choice bullshit. There's a lot of us that feels like we weren't the first choice. I even said to myself, second, never first, because I could never get the girl I wanted. I could get girls, but it was never the girl I wanted because she always wanted someone else, so I was second <clears> choice. <throat> but was I really the second choice? Was it really fair for me to say second, never first? Is it really fair for me to say I was a second choice because I was adopted because I wasn't wanted or I was taken from my birth mother? And I think those are some of the things that you, you grow out of as you mature. You feel that right. way when you're a teenager. But I think some of that stuff you just learn to deal with and you grow out of. So I didn't really like some of those things. Um, when his mother called him a thug, you look like a thug. You know, how did that make you feel? And then I have a response to that because those are some of the things that I was a little heated about. I, I can't imagine a mother calling their child that. You look I, like a thug. I, yeah. But I, I mean, that is one of those trigger words that you here on Fox mm -hmm. News and some of the conservative outlets, that's a word they like to use, I guess, to keep from using anything else defamatory. So I, I, that, that part of the show was a little bit uncomfortable. And it, I can see something like that happening because I do think there are a lot of people, that's their go-to word whenever it's something that's deeply black, deeply rooted in, and deeply rooted in hip hop or something of that nature. People like to go to the word thug. So I think is 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 very uncomfortable. But if if I can back up for just a second about something you said that I thought was very important, he definitely made the white people look ignorant or villains, and the black people on the show were just cool, laid back. And I, I remember growing up, I'm in the early '80s, watching Different Strokes, a sitcom about two black kids that were adopted by a white parent. Oh yeah, and. All their friends on the show always like, yo, so what's it like with having a white dad and things of that nature? And I mean, that was always part of the show. And yet on this one, no one questioned the fact that he had white parents. None of the black people he dealt with really brought that up. So that was completely unrealistic. So I think you make a great point there. Yeah, but the whole thug thing, I mean, that's just a trigger word to get the listeners kind of agitated. I mean, the, the viewers kind of agitated. Yeah, and you know, people judge. That's just what they do. I mean, people judge. We all know our parents or the previous generation and our grandparents. Like, oh, you know, we always say, like, my mother-in-law is like, well, she's from another generation. She says a lot of shit that's not appropriate. She says shit that's embarrassing. And, you know, on one hand, we write it off or that's just where, how they were raised. But on the other hand, we're like, fuck, man, that's embarrassing as shit. But you can't really wake them up. They are who they are and it's not acceptable. But they are who they are. And so, you know, if you have white people raising black kids and they're bringing around like a picnic, white people and black people are going to talk about it. Right. Until they know, you know, that situation. So that's one of the things where I was just like, damn, I wonder with regard to thug, like some of my best friends, like my, I had a friend, Stedman Foreman who lived behind me, Stedman and Percy and his parents. And they were like, I wasn't raised obviously in a black household, but I spent so much time over there. I got to see the stark differences in the discipline. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. No, ma'am. No, sir. Like strict, like whoopings. Like I got whipped. They got whipped, you know, stinching cords. <laughs> like they got their ass beat. And I can see his mom or dad being like, you look like a thug. 
one of my best friends, Dwayne, his dad was a principal. You know, Dwayne is black as well. And don't let him catch you with your pants hanging down as a principal. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, you know, my thought on that is it's not always just, it's not just white people calling black people thugs. Like black people call black people thugs all the time. And I would say as far as him getting his hair done and the corn rolls, some houses accept it. Some houses don't, regardless of what your color of your skin is. And I wrote down, remember, I forgot which one of Chappelle's stand-up was. And it was funny because usually when I hear thugs, I think of him and I laugh because he had mentioned shady people in his, uh, in his stand-up. He goes, these weren't, I mean, these were, these were thugs. And everyone started laughing. There were people standing on the corner. Mm-hmm. So I think it's easy to make it seem because it is kind of a racy word, but like try not to forget. And I'm not trying to say it's like the N word, right? Where some people can and some people can't say it. And I think we probably both agree with, with that. Yeah. But, eh, you know, uh, I could easily see Stedman's parents or even my other best friend Garfield, his parents going to town on him and saying, I can hear his mom say, boy, you look like a thug, knock it off. Like I can hear it. I've, I've seen it. I can hear it. I can see it. So it's kind of one of those things. Um, yeah. And that's probably, that's probably true when you, when you put it that way. And now that I think about it, um, growing up in, growing up in my household, my dad was very strict about my hair. I was, you know, back around the time that people had the high top phase and things of that nature house party yeah. was out. And yep. I, I never necessarily wanted those styles, but I also knew that, it wasn't an option in my household. Now, my father told me once I got old enough to pay for my own haircuts, I had more freedom to do what I wanted. But growing up, I couldn't just get a certain hairstyle because I'm sure my parents didn't want me to have a certain look that may be negatively viewed by the general public. So whether they think it was for my protection or, or whatever the situation may be, I had limits on what I could do with my hair and my look and things of that nature. And I'm thankful for it today. Maybe I didn't understand all of it growing up, but um, yeah, you're right. It's it's not just white people who look at certain kids and their clothing a certain way or their hairstyle. Black people do too. Yeah. It's like, I don't see a lot of black grunge people, but when a kid comes home all grunge and emoed out, I don't know too many parents that like that Mm-mm. at all. It's like, what the hell are you doing? And then Again, in a different world, you know, you have you know, corporate America, you have the military style lifestyle, you have corporate America, tattoos, hair, et cetera. Like that shit ain't in the nineties and two thousands. It's not where it was now. Right. Because now you hell, even 10 years ago, it's like, if you get a tattoo on your neck, you've already cut off like 90% of your employment opportunities. You get t- tattoo sleeves. You got to cover them up, mm-hmm. you, to, you know, shave your face, no facial hair. Now you can, in a lot of these places, cause they've had to adapt and evolve, you can go to work looking like whatever, as long as you're productive, but it's still out there. And it's not a racist thing. It's just like a conservative thing. Right. You're exactly right. A lot has changed over the years. And yeah, if you had a neck tattoo, you were basically going to be a rapper or athlete or work at a gas station. You didn't have very many options, but now things have changed and uh, we've gone a little more liberal as far as uh, fashion and, and what's acceptable within the workplace and things of that nature, and whether it's good or not, I mean, you can argue, but uh, yeah, but that's something that you 
either had to embrace back in the day and deal with it if you wanted to get a particular type of job or if you were going to do your own thing, then um, you had to accept the consequences that came with it as far as perception. You know, Skuto is kind of a sporting thing because he portrayed his coaches to be kind of assholes. And from what I understand, they always are kind of assholes <laughs> regardless. And um, I don't know what's really irregular for coaches whose job and legacy is on the line to push you toward a certain sport or to kind of bully you. Like if they were to put microphones out on these practice fields, you know, Wes Tankersley was telling me like he had a coach that said some stuff about one of his players and they didn't think nothing about it then. But moving forward, it's like, God damn, that was racist as shit. But <laughs> you know, the coach probably, I mean, it's, through his ignorance was the way he was raised and didn't think anything of it. Cause now he's saying stuff like that. You get fired immediately. Something about his teeth, black kid, white teeth. I don't remember exactly what he called him, but it was something along those lines. <clears throat> but it's not unlike these coaches to live vicariously through their athletes. Because if you're a, if you have a superstar athlete, you want to push them to something stardom, not only for them, but really for you to say, yeah, I coached that kid. And then more kids want to come to my school. It's like their livelihood is on the line. So I don't think there's anything really irregular about how he was treated. I think he tried hard to make it seem like it was about him being mixed or him being black or whatever, but I don't really see that. And mm -hmm. side note, he had a white friend that was a thug. Right. <laughs> All the way thug. <laughs> Stealing rims and everything. Yeah, and I thought it was good that his friend, though, because we've all had friends like that, where he was like, look, man, you don't want to hang out with me. You know, I've had that time where one of my good friends, I'm like, look, man, you can't, we got to stop doing this stupid shit. It's going to get us in trouble. You have a future. Mm -hmm. And he never went on to be like a Colin Kaepernick, but he was all citywide receiver and people were looking at him. I'm like, look, man, we got to stop this shit because, yeah. you know, if you get in trouble, if we get caught doing this and this mischievous stuff, but anything, you know, in these small towns, in these towns, anything is a mark when it comes to recruiting. Absolutely. Said, you're going to lose, you're not going to lose your future behind me. So it's, I'm glad that that character was in there. I'm glad most of the characters were in the show. It was a fun, good kind of, you know, we, we, you understood, you saw parts that reminded you of life. I saw parts that reminded me of life. And it was kind of a good balance from that aspect. Yeah. And, um, he definitely had a good friend and a lot of guys don't realize that, that now that a good friend is going to keep you out of harm's way instead of trying to bring you in on it. And so a lot of people missed the mark on that. And the show itself, I thought made some really good points and the incidents at the hotel we're a little over the top where the hotel clerk is staring at him because he's a yes. black kid and wouldn't give him the extra ice cream because he's a black kid. and Or the apple. I, yeah, yeah. So I, I think there were some extreme things, but by the same token, I can also see some truth in some of it. I just don't think mm -hmm. that type of thing happens often or maybe is that overt. But I can think of experiences where maybe someone's a little more attentive towards me as opposed to a white friend I may have um, been with at the time because like K through 12, I, I went to school in a pretty much predominantly white school system. So I had a lot of white friends as well as black friends. And so I kind of got the best of both worlds. I went to a predominantly white school system, K through 12, and I went to a historical black college at Mississippi Valley State University. So I got to see it from both sides. And 
So I, it's kind of given me a well-rounded a- approach to how I see these things. And I try to call it like I see it. Um, I consider myself a life referee in that way. I call it yeah, like I right. see it. And Blow the whistle. Yeah, right. And there's so much race baiting in the world. There are a lot of times people will use the race card on things that are unnecessary. And it makes it hard when something racist actually does happen to try to get someone to focus on because there's just so much, you know, I got to make headlines or I got to uh, file a lawsuit because I want to make a quick buck for an incident that really wasn't that big of a deal and, and things of that sort. So the show itself, I think, I think shows like this are necessary. I just want them to be done the the right way if people are going to do it. Yeah. Like I think we could have done without Colin some of his openings. Cause it's like, Every time he tried to teach me a piece of history, I would kind of roll my eyes like, dude, what? What? Like, what are you doing? And like, maybe one or two of them were actually relevant, but most of them to me were just, I don't know. I don't know what he was trying to do, whether it came to acceptable Negro, you know, uh, that yeah. whole breakdown on on TV. Um, I do understand where he's coming from on a lot of that stuff. I know that Hollywood is a little imbalanced of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, very imbalanced. And you're right with the with the lady in the lobby and even the hotel manager. Like I understood the you're one of the good ones. I know it's it's racist as shit. Yeah. But going back to what I said earlier, when people don't have the exposure and the only exposure they have is negative, then they're gonna think negative. And yeah. unfortunately our, our society is, is fucked up like that. And if you're raised in a predominantly I wouldn't say white, but an area known for its deep-rooted racism, you're going to get a lot more of those interactions with the lady and the apple and the ice cream and the manager saying you're one of the good ones than if you're in yeah. a well-rounded community because those are people's ignorances. And it's that's a reality. I don't know if it needed to be in there to that extreme, like you were saying, you know, or the kids being too rowdy. You know, the other team that said they were kicked out, the black team, the year before for being too rowdy. Yeah. Or laughing at him because he had his shirt tucked in. You know, that's, <laughs> you know, I've been there. I think... I think we've all been there in some aspect. Yes. You know? I mean, I, I lived through a lot of that being uh, when I played Little League soccer um, at eight years old, only black kid on the team. And I, I guess I became one of the, the quote unquote good ones. And yeah. <laughs> all the parents ended up loving me and they were, and then it got to the point they were too nice to me. It's like they were trying too hard. And even at that young of an age, it, it was a bit, uncomfortable. I mean, thinking back on it now, I can see a lot more than I did then. And so, you know, going over to a white friend's house, it may seem a little awkward at first, but over time as they got to know me and they realized, okay, he's just like any other kid, um, they became more comfortable and things are fine. So I do think that people need exposure to what they don't know or understand and things will get better from that point. I mean, that's how life works. And when you're ignorant of something, you kind of fear it, whether right. it's subconscious or not. You may not realize it. But once you get to realize that, okay, you know, we're all the same, essentially. We just maybe move a little differently or think a little differently. Then it's not that big of a deal. People won't be looked at as as threats or, you know, things of that nature. I want to back up a little bit before moving forward to the homecoming episode. Going back to episodes two and three. Through episode two and really three, all we saw was baseball. I didn't really see any shred of evidence that suggested he was ever any good at football. We didn't even see that till like the fifth or sixth episode. Am I am I crazy in that? 
No, um, they really hit the baseball thing kind of hard. And maybe because it's traditionally a white sport, it was an American sport, and he was trying to make a point there. The whole fascination with being a quarterback didn't really seem realistic at times when watching the show because it was about baseball so much in those right. episodes. So, because I was thinking to myself, dad, dude, maybe you should have played baseball. Right. You know? <laughs> like get going with your heart, but we didn't see any football till basically the very end, but you spent the first four episodes talking about how you wanted to be a football player and no one really gave you a chance. It's like, show us, show us that you're all state. You're ranked as a four-star recruit, but you're not getting any letters. So, you know, when it comes to applying for college, again, they didn't show us shit. So you're going to get all these rejection letters. And guess what? Every star athlete in the United States trying to get into college gets a pile of rejection letters unless you are a blue chip or you a five-star football recruit. Like every right. athlete. If you're one, two, or three star, you're getting rejection letters. And he's he wasn't getting rejection letters from like Southwest Louisiana Tech. He was getting rejection letters from big houses, of course. Yes. Alabama's not going to send you an accepted letter, kid. <laughs> You're right about that. And so there was a lot made on that. And I think most viewers, because they know that he is a Super Bowl quarterback, you know, they look back on it and say, oh, they did him wrong. But right. I, I mean, he's a guy that got an opportunity and he made the most of it. Mm-hmm. And he should be commended for that. He he got a shot at Nevada. He did well enough to make an NFL team, and he ran with it and made it to a Super Bowl. And so he's to be commended, you know. But that's when you look at other quarterbacks who may not have had uh, big school opportunities, you look at, at a Kurt Warner. Sure. You know, yeah, Kurt Warner went on to win a Super Bowl, but no one was clamoring for Kurt Warner when he came out of high school. Nobody was checking for him, and he wasn't a five-star athlete or anything like that. So. It was kind of, I'm not going to say revisionist revisionist history or anything like that, but as a viewer, you're looking at this and you're thinking, oh, they did him so wrong. He was so talented. He was being held back. Not really. This probably motivated him to when he got to Nevada, he did improve upon his game enough to make it to the NFL. Those rejection letters probably turned him into a better quarterback. You know, I just thought of this and I'm not comparing Colin Kaepernick to Michael Jordan. But in a sense of semi-revisionist history, it's the same deal. It's like, how could this coach cut Michael Jordan from his high school basketball team because of who he became? That's not who he was at the time. Exactly right. I mean, I understand the comparison. And um, so it's almost like people are looking at this backwards. You know, this is what built him into who he is, you know, who he was as a player. And... Yeah, his career was cut short by the whole kneeling thing, and he was blackballed, and I think unfairly. I think he had a right to express himself. Um, But by the same token, I mean, we can't look back on it now and say he would have been this or he would have been that because, you know, his track record shows that he was a, a decent quarterback who took advantage of his opportunities and got a chance to play in the biggest game, on you know, on on, on stage. As far as the whole thing with the the white cheerleader coming up to him and and who he wanted to take to the dance, it seems very common, albeit sexist for me to say, but it seems very common that girls always want the star athlete. So I think whether he was black or white, it didn't really matter. 
the cheerleaders and jocks, like those are the ones that like guys want the cheerleaders and girls want the jocks. Right. So I think that part was, I'm not quite sure what they were trying to do there with uh, the white girl and the black girl. Cause I mean, I could have seen myself trying to date both of them. Hell, I'll take both of those motherfuckers <laughs> to the prom for real. You don't want to go with me. You can go with me. But I mean, sometimes in life, you know, you like people who don't really like you as much. And sometimes people like you who you don't like as much. And that's just the reality of growing up. And I hope people understood that watching this instead of, you know, taking a, sort of, some sort of a racial spin to it. Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, I mean, heck, I wanted cheerleaders when I was growing up. So I, yeah. I totally get it. I totally get it. And it, it wasn't a race thing. Like you said, had he been of any um, ethnicity, you know, the cheerleader's going to want the quarterback. That's just how it goes. Or the star pitcher. Yeah, that's just how it is. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a microcosm of fandom across the board. Yeah. There is a and, thing of people being attracted to you because you're famous, being attracted to you because you're rich, being attracted to you for the, anything non-physical. I mean, that's just a that's just a fabric of our society. It is. But one thing the show did touch on that was true um, is that the standard of beauty is something that has traditionally been set by white people. Right. As far as what is and what isn't. Um, you know, the parents not wanting to put the prom picture up with him and the the black girl as opposed to him and the white girl. And because they thought the white girl was prettier. And I think they referred to the black girl as uh, blue black, I think. And that it was a uh, it was a passing phase that he would get over it of uh, being attracted to that particular girl. Yeah. And so um, I, I do think that they did hit on that as far as the standard of beauty. But. By the same token, there was so much, so many questions I had after the documentary, or if you want to call it a documentary, docudrama, whatever it is. Like, for example, he seemed to be very in touch with his blackness, despite the fact that he was rarely around black people. I didn't understand mm -hmm. that. How did he feel home in a hip hop environment at the barbershop? You know, how did he feel like the cornrows were for him when it was nothing that he ever really just saw, you know, in his household and in his surroundings. So I didn't quite get that. Um, I mean, they almost made it sound like it was something instinctive, like returning a lion to right. the jungle and that's or something. offensive in itself, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's just, you know, I, I'm not going to be raised around white people all my life. And then all of a sudden you play some public enemy and now I want to be Malcolm X. You know, it doesn't work like that. Maybe that's what's happened with Colin. I've been there and gotten out of there, but I'm glad I got out of that, that mindset in a certain sense, you know, but I mean, and you had mentioned this at the very beginning, it's like, okay, well, my mom's, you know, white people can't cook and black people, you know, this is, wow, this is delicious. You know, I just, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't a big fan of my mom's cooking, but I don't think it's because she was white. I just think because I just wasn't a big fan of her cooking. Mm -hmm. And going back to the, the beauty thing, I agree with you on setting the standard, I had difficulties with how his parents reacted because watching this documentary as much as he tried, because there's a few things that his parents did where he wasn't around, which made me question, how do you know that's how that went down? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you know your mom awkwardly had a conversation with coworkers and trying to get you the hairstyle you want? Like, how do you know yeah. that? Yeah. But the thing that really stood out to me in the end 
whether intentional or non-intentional is, man, his, his parents were supportive as fuck. And so I have a hard time unless he witnessed it, unless they showed him when, you know, behind the door, like peeking through and listening to his parents have this conversation, have a hard time, especially with his mother putting that photo, not wanting to hang that photo up. I think they would have hung it up reluctantly and maybe they still would have had the thought, you yeah. know, kind of like you were saying, but not wanting to put it out. I think that was, uh, Unless, unless that was a factual thing, I think that was a little unfair to his parents, especially given all the the support that they had for him. Yeah, it's just hard to believe that someone would actually adopt a black child and then have an issue with something like that. It just seems unbelievable. Yeah, because my parents never outwardly had any opinion. I mean, I brought this girl home once, and my dad was like, "That's your girl? Wow!" And she, uh, <laughs> but she came over and she had like on. She just came off of work, right? And so, you know, she had like on this tight leopard print and these long boots. You know, she worked Dad, at night. Where she work? Yeah. Oh, well, okay. She worked at night. <laughs> right. She made many dollars. But I remember, I, I'll never forget his reaction. He was like, holy shit. Wow. You know, and then, you know, I had like the, the main girl I did the most in high school. She was black. Mm-hmm. Like I never had a white girlfriend. I had white girls I've messed around with after the fact, but every girl I've ever had girlfriend they've liked. So. Yeah. And it was obvious. I've never dated um, a, a, a white woman. Um, but I mean, growing up, I was kind of like in high school. I was in the light skin, long hair phase. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Lisa, Lisa from Lisa, you yeah. know, the singer. And, but once I got to college, I met this chocolate track star. It's a sprinter by the name of Frida. Oh my goodness. And it just totally changed my outlook on that. So now I just, I just love dark skin, but, um, you know, to each their own. I don't, I don't care who someone likes or loves. Just, just be happy, you know, do it for the right reasons. And it's cool. As long as no one is saying I date white people because black people are this or black people are that, then I don't, I don't have a problem. Date who you want. Yeah. I had a crush on Hillary. Ah, Fresh Prince. Yep. I was like, oh, she's so hot. You know, <laughs> looking back, I'm like, huh? Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Quincy Sheldon, talk to Q radio show. People can find you how? You can find me by searching hashtag T2Q or talk to Q on social media. I have a website, talk to Q.com. Um, that's probably the best place to go. And you'll find my other ways to connect with me and archives of my show. I'm glad we're finally able to make this happen. I meant what I said earlier. You you inspire me, your longevity, and then our conversations. Uh, you're incredibly well-grounded. Sorry it took so long to make this happen, but sometimes you save the best things for, I wouldn't say last because that means this thing is over. Hell no. Um, <laughs> but uh, and you've also been always been a good supporter of, uh, of hard parking. So for that, I also appreciate you. Well, man, I, I appreciate the opportunity to finally come on to the show. I, I definitely enjoy listening. Um, I think you do a great job of of making people like me who, you know, I don't know a ton of things about cars, but I, I think your guests are very interesting. And when you talk about cars and, you know, I go to Google, I'll check out a certain vehicle to see what it is or something. So it, it kind of helps me um, expand my mind a little bit. And, and I appreciate that. And I think it's great that you've crossed 100 episodes yourself and Hopefully someday uh, we can be discussing your 1,000th show. Who knows? Hopefully one day. Oh, real quick, just so we make this the, this is non-automotive, automotive. What car are you rolling or what car are you trying to get if you ever, you know, decide to upgrade? 
I said, well, my, my daily driver, which is a term I learned from this show, um, <laughs> my daily driver is a 2020 Toyota Camry XSE. Okay. And I've had it for a year now and I like it. I think one of the main things I like is the gas mileage. Oh my goodness. It is so nice not having to go to the pump that often. Um, it's, it's a really fun car. It's, it's, it's sporty enough for me, but yet it's still kind of casual. So it kind of fits my personality a little bit. And it's, I don't really have a dream vehicle. I mean, growing up, I always wanted a Lamborghini Diablo, but um, I really don't have a dream vehicle, so to speak. Uh, so I'm still trying to find my way on that. Q, you can get your Diablo. Just keep being Q. <laughs> hey, if that's all it takes, then I, I can't wait. Hey, what color would you get? Oh, I'd probably go with a smoke or charcoal or a black, something dark. Black Diablo or gray. Right, got it. All yeah. right, Q. Thanks, buddy. Thanks a lot, man. You'll be walking down the street and you'll see like a group of black dudes walking. Not just any old black dude. We talking, you know, thugs. <laughs> talking, you know. Be some thugs, and in the group, in the group, they got like one or two, sometimes as many as three white guys to be with them. You ever seen this shit? <laughs> Let me tell you something about those white guys. Those white guys are the most dangerous motherfuckers in them groups. <laughs> well, it's true. I want to thank Quincy Shelton for joining the show. That is Quincy Talk to Q Radio Show. You can find it everywhere. He kind of runs it on his site. Talk to Q, literally T-A-L-K, the number two, Q. Talk to Q radio show. It's been a listener of my podcast for a while. And I check out his show every once in a while. Don't get to it all the time. A lot of the topics that they talk about, albeit extremely interesting. A lot of relationship stuff. A lot of what would you do if, if for example, and this isn't one of his shows, but you know, what would you do if you found out your romantic interest was screwing the milkman high while drinking a fifth of Jack. Okay, nothing quite like that. Want to thank Wright Honda and Wright Toyota of Scottsdale, Arizona. Want to thank Cell Shop Wireless Services, Four Wheel Online, Patreon business supporter, Kui Automotive. If you have a small business, you want to support the show, sign up for the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash hardparking podcast, $8 a month. Also want to thank Mark Stolman, Catherine Cox, Eddie Ramos, Richard Grays, Byron Jones, Bo Jung, and Alex Camina for all being patrons of the show. If you're interested in becoming a supporter of the show, you can join the Patreon for as little as $3 a month and get access to bonus audio as well as show swag. When I have it, I'm going to order some new uh, new coasters. So if you guys are big on the coasters, I think it's like the fifth or sixth coaster. Everybody gets that. Everybody gets that for free if you do it. So I guess it's kind of not free. Kind of is. New partnership coming up. New partnership around the corner. Really good opportunity. You know, I'd mentioned how the rental car of the week segment is kind of gone away. And we'll get to a rental car when we can. I have been presented with a pretty cool opportunity by another listener of the show, friend of the show. So I'm excited to announce that partnership. If you like to consume your content on YouTube, check out the Independent Entertainment Network. We have a playlist on the IEN, Independent Entertainment Network, on YouTube. You can catch old episodes, some of them with Video, as you know, I typically don't do video, but you can catch them there. Eventually, you'll be able to catch new episodes there. There are a handful of other podcasts you can also consume over at the IEN. Check me out. 
One Drink Wednesdays, myself and Wes Tankersley, we do it on Instagram Live every Wednesday, 7 o'clock Pacific. Set your calendars, set your alarms, do what you have to do. Come and have a virtual drink with us. That's what it is, virtual drink. It was born out of the pandemic era where it's like, hey, that'd be cool if we could meet up and have a drink. You're cool. I'm cool. They're cool. Let's do this. Oh, wait, we can't because not only is everyone shut down 2020, but you're in another state. So we kept it going. Remember early in the pandemic, everybody was doing Zoom calls. Everybody was doing the party apps, FaceTime games. Everyone did it. Everyone. For like three months. Haven't done one since. But that's where One Drink Wednesday was kind of born. And so, and so join us. If you want to reach me, hardparkerpodcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at jfinning. That's J-H-A-E-P-F-E-N-N-I-N-G. Or jtravels, J-H-A-E underscore travels. Oh yeah, real quick. If you're consuming this show on Spotify, Spotify now offers an opportunity for you to review. I don't remember if it's just rate or review the shows. So head over there, leave a review. Don't forget to join the Hard Parking Violations Facebook group and subscribe to me on YouTube. I need to get to a thousand followers. Can you guys help me get to a thousand subscribers on YouTube? Watch my content. It's not good. It's great. YouTube.com hard parking media or hard parking podcast. I can never remember, but I can't grow without you telling the world how good this show is. So let's do this. Let's grow this thing together. And I'll talk to you all next week. Now it's stripping time. Shut up. <laughs>